that that part's good. Um, but just like you mentioned, it's tonight definitely wasn't pretty. Um, wasn't anywhere near our best, but you know you leave them hanging around, and and obviously they get rewarded on a couple. And um, but it's just overall, I think it's just defensive habits, and and we just were a little bit light in a lot of situations, and. Um, a lot of brain farts out there that that aren't supposed to happen at this point in the season. But I'm very confident that we're going to clean all these things up moving forward. But as we progress here, we're getting close to the halfway point um, in our systems and, and our, uh, you know, the foundation of our play needs to be real solid. And it wasn't tonight. Hey, guys, thanks for pressing play on Hockey Mountain High, your go to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app and total beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, the other guy with me, Arif Dean, Patrick Stedman, making us look nice. What you just heard there was Gabe Landeskog following the overtime victory over the Montreal Canadiens and I really wanted to start the podcast with this little clip because it was an interesting vibe being in that press conference. I mean, the Avalanche just came off a win. They're on a tear in the month of January so far, having only lost one during the phantom too many men call in in Nashville. And yet you got the vibe that the captain of this team is not happy with their play. You get the vibe that the coach of this team is not happy with their play. Again, Arif, they're winning consecutively. They're setting records at home. They're chasing the NHL home record right now. But yet, the Avalanche captain is displeased. So what I wanted to get into and what I kind of read out of that message from Gabe Landeskog and a little bit of Bednar there is I I just see a team that is not accepting mediocrity, right? This is a team that has kind of felt really good about themselves in years past and only to be upset in the playoffs, only to be denied of their dream and their goal. They are not letting things get in between their goal this year. They are sticking to the plan. They are focused, and they are working on everything they possibly can to be the greatest team they possibly can. That's what I read out of Gabe Landeskog's post-game comments. What did his message mean to you? I got the exact same vibe, and I'm going to run into exactly what I think Gabe is thinking in his head. So if you go to the wins column in the NHL, don't worry about games played. Don't worry about points, points percentage, who's played how many games, strictly the wins column. And you start from the bottom. At the very bottom of the NHL are the eight win Montreal Canadiens. And the Avalanche needed overtime. Right above them in 31st place, second from the bottom, is the 10 win Arizona Coyotes that the Avalanche defeated in a shootout. Right above them in 30th place is the 12-win Seattle Kraken that the Avalanche nearly blew a three or nearly lost to after blowing an early lead to and needed to come back and win that game. So what you're getting from Gabe Landeskog right now is no longer the conversation that we would hear in 2019 or 2020 or 2021 where a win is a win and we got the two points and we'll fix what we need to fix and we'll move on. It was more of... Yeah, we got the two points. Yeah, we got the win. But that was unacceptable. We got to do better. We got to play better. We got to fix the things we need to fix. 
and we have to move on and we have to get better. Well, sorry, not move on. We have to get better and we have to fix these things. And what you just said kind of pinpoints exactly the way that I felt because I remember when Gabe Landeskogan, I think we all forget Sam Gerard was there too because he answered like one and a half questions and <laughs> Gabe Landeskog took like nine questions while Gerard was looking up at the lights and just kind of in his own little la-la land. It was hilarious. Um, <laughs> that, that distracted me more than anything at the press conference. But yeah, he made me start <laughs> looking at the lights. Like, what's up there? He's like, like what is he on? looking at? What is going yeah. on? But um, what I really liked about what Gabe Landeskog did there was he wasn't taking mediocrity for for something that's acceptable for a team as good as this team is to the point where when he got up and walked out of the press room, you looked at me and went, didn't the Avalanche win this game? Because that sounded like the press conference of a loss, which we haven't been in in quite a while since November 4th or 3rd, whenever that Columbus game was. So... What I got from Gabe there was exactly that, and I like that message that you said, is the Avalanche aren't accepting mediocrity anymore. And then what I like about what Jared Bednar said was somebody asked him, you know, given the fact that the schedule is so tight and given the fact that there's not a lot of practice time this year, Jared Bednar, can this be fixed by watching video? And he said, yeah, I think the mistakes that we're making are things that we need to discuss and we can get better at without having to practice them. And Gabe Landeskog echoed those sentiments. That was a captain that's been around the NHL for a decade. And uh, as McKinnon said last year, we haven't won shit. And that's a captain that wants to win shit. That's not a captain that wants to celebrate two points over an eight-win team. That's not a captain that wants to celebrate 15 straight wins at home. That's a captain that wants to do something in the playoffs when it matters. And what we heard yesterday proved exactly that. And I don't think that this is exactly a matter of the team expecting to dominate 7-1 to one every single game like they did earlier this month in Winnipeg, right? But what we've seen this month is a, a tighter games. We're f seeing them have to win the ugly games. We're seeing them have to grind. I mean, I think there were a lot, you know, they had 11 wins so far in this month. And I think about five or six of those games were tight games, tight, you know, really have to claw to the end and dig out the win. And I think all this really kind of started in Anaheim, right? Because that Anaheim game, it really looked like Anaheim was running the show. I mean, the Avalanche were having a hard time generating shots on goal. They were getting clogged up in the neutral zone, and they miraculously kind of won that game on the back of their goaltender. So that was the start of it. And then in LA, you kind of saw more of the same. So it's a little bit of frustration with those tough scratch and claw games i think that they're that they're i guess not used to right they want to be this dominating six to one seven to one performance every night so it's making them a little bit uncomfortable having to work this hard for wins but it's also not crazy because it's exactly what we expected coming into the month of january we knew the schedule was getting tighter we knew there was going to be less practice time and there was going to be a lot more fatigue because when you're playing essentially every other night this is naturally going to happen so i was a little shocked to see how frustrated they were by this and and not i guess making excuses about yeah we're a little bit tired we need a break we need we need some rest frustrated is not the word they were not frustrated they were it kind of came off to me like they kind of came to this realization that we're looking in the mirror and we know we are not our best. It wasn't a frustration because it's stupid to be frustrated over two points. Like you won, you got the two points. It didn't come off as a frustration. It came off as more as like, yeah, we won, but we need to look in the mirror and realize that 
we maybe didn't deserve to win or something that a player like Gabe or any professional athlete in the NHL at least would never say is um, if the Montreal Canadiens didn't suck donkey ass, we probably would have lost that game. It's kind of the way that it felt to me. It was kind of like... I'm not frustrated, but I'm going to be a realist. And and as a realist, I know that the, we didn't put in a good effort. You know what else was interesting about that whole little ordeal there is it really feels like this is coming from the room, right? Jared Bednar kind of stepped on the press conference, and he was a little bit more loose. He was a little bit more smiley, and he even made the point of saying that the guys are kind of doing this amongst themselves. They're, they're the ones that are feeling like they have more to give, that there's some cleaning up that needs to be done, right? I mean, we heard the words brain farts out of Gabe Landeskog. It sounds like... And that's your that's your leadership core. Right. And that sounds like that's a word that's being thrown around there in the locker room, and they know that that's an issue, and it's them that's making the moves to, to get it cleaned up. Yeah, and, and uh, again, I, I, I like the fact that you said that because that's kind of the way it came off with me with Jared Bednar. I mean, I like what Jared said yesterday, kind of echoes the sentiments of, you know, the point I'm trying to make is Jared said, I'd rather be learning lessons while we're still winning. And that's what his team is doing. His team is not, again, it, it goes back to the initial point is, is the Avalanche aren't looking at this and going, you know, kind of what they were saying last year or in 2020 or in 2019 because they've now won the president's trophy they have that under their belt they know what that feels like and they couldn't care less they don't give a shit about that anymore they might win it this year they might want they might not right now they have the best points percentage in the nhl they don't care what they're doing is they're not coming in and saying we got the two points and we feel good about ourselves they're saying we need to learn more from this and what they're learning is why did it take us an overtime to beat the Montreal Canadiens? Why did it take us blowing a two-goal lead? Why did it take us dominating the first 25 or 30 or whatever was minutes of the game and then suddenly coming out in the third period and needing Darcy Kemper not just to stand on his head, but to stand on his head on shorthanded opportunities when we had a power play and for some reason the Canadians had two or three golden opportunities to score a shorthanded goal to take a lead. And then suddenly in overtime, it took, you know, again, three on three overtimes at coin flip. Like, that's just the reality of it. But it took Val Nachushkin and Gabe Landeskog to pair up for a goal and to not have this historic run at home ended by the team that has eight wins that came back from a two-goal deficit. Like, how silly. Like, Gabe Landeskog's not stupid. He's looking and he's saying, we were up by two goals. Why did it take a coin flip for us to win? It goes back to my initial point. Why did it take a shootout coin flip to beat the Arizona Coyotes? It shouldn't have gotten to there. So what I'm seeing here is Jared Bednar is letting the leadership core of Eric Johnson, Gabe Landeskog, and even Nathan McKinnon, by the way, who's, who's I don't like to use the word uptight, but a lot less uptight now than he was maybe two months ago. It seems to be very in, in, in a rhythm now. These guys are not accepting just a victory anymore. And it goes back to what Jared said. I'd much rather be learning lessons while we're still winning. And that's what his team is doing. They're learning lessons from this. They're going to get better from this. And it's only going to go up from here. But how much higher can it go? You're getting two points every time you play. So what's better than getting two points? Getting two points and being more prepared for the playoffs. That's the simple answer. Yeah, and they're, they're getting through these problems and, you know, the perseverance through them, I guess, is really the biggest sign of the progress, right? Because how many times in the past have we seen this team go to Anaheim, Anaheim plays a heavy game, clogs the neutral zone, and the Avalanche can't really figure it out and, and just take the loss? Well, this time, 
It wasn't pretty, but they figured out a way to get it done. Pavel Francouz, Pavel Francouz really played well, but again, it's a, it's a unit figuring out how to persevere. Same thing in L.A. the next night, and even against Montreal. I mean, they didn't even have a five-on-five goal, and usually if you see that happen, that's a recipe for a loss, right? But they persevered, figure out a way to get it done when it's not coming easy to them. So, I mean, it's, it's an absolute awesome position to be in to be still catching W's in these scenarios, but... This stuff's not going to fly down the stretch come playoffs. So I'm happy that they are aware that there are still tweaks that have to have to be made. I, I love the mindset of this team right now. That's what I wanted to dedicate the whole first portion of this podcast. The, the mindset of the team is beautiful. 100% spot on. And what I like about it is they didn't come into this and say, we're playing a lot of games, we're fatigued. Actually, it was Jared Bednar that said that. Jared Bednar came out after the games in California and said, I see a team that's exhausted. And you want to know why he said that? Because the Avalanche played five games in a seven-day stretch. How often do you see that in the NHL? When have we ever seen that? I, I don't recall. I'm not going to sit here and press back on the Avalanche's monthly schedule until I get back to 2005 and figure it out. But they played on a Friday and a Saturday, a Monday, a Wednesday, and a Thursday. So between Friday the 14th, the first game against Arizona, and Thursday the 20th, the game against the LA Kings, they won 4-3, 5-0, 4-3, 2-0, 4-1. played five games in seven nights slash days because of the early games. But five and seven, how often do we see that? That is an incredible number. And it's even crazier to think in a seven-day stretch, you are 10 points higher in the standings because you won all five of those games. That is incredible. So you should be exhausted. And then, hey, by the way, after the five games in seven days... Um, you had less than 48 hours until your next game because it was a 5 p.m. start coming out of California when that was an 8 p.m. local start. So when is it? when do they get a chance to rest? Well, they played the 22nd. We are recording on the 23rd. They're going to play the 24th, the 26th, the 28th, the 30th, and the 1st. So every other day from, Sunday, from Monday the 24th until Tuesday the 1st before they go into that all-star break, the extended break after it, and nine days off between games or eight days off between games. Yeah. So yeah, they are exhausted. They should use that as an, as an excuse, but they're not. And I freaking love that. Yeah, exactly. Those are the two biggest factors for, I guess, the struggling, right? We heard that from Jared Bednar. That's what's that's what he's seeing. He's not seeing mistakes from a team that doesn't care. He's not seeing mistakes from a team that isn't trying. He's seeing mistakes from a team that's a little bit mentally exhausted, a little bit physically exhausted, and you can easily blame the schedule. You can easily blame the lack of practice. And those are both going on, but those are both going on across the NHL. So it's just about, you know, Picking up your picking yourself up by the bootstraps, continuing to work yep. hard, and doing your best to clean up the small details of the game. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm I'm looking at a guy like Gabe Landeskog, and he's scrolling NHL.com at night when he's bored, and he goes to the stats page and he sees Alex Ovechkin, who's a thousand years old, leading the NHL in points, and goes, "What's our excuse? How the hell could we say we're exhausted? This guy's been doing this since 2004. When 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 out Al- well 2005 when Alex Ovechkin played his first game in the NHL, Gabe Landeskog was 13 years old. Well, actually, 12 years old, almost 13 years old, because he's born in November. Well, actually, 13 going on to 14. You get the point. Very <laughs> young. My math is off. The years are off. I keep forgetting about that damn 0405 lockout. But Gabe Landeskog was 13 years old, and Alex Ovechkin played his first game. He's leading the NHL in points right now. Gabe Landeskog's looking at that and saying, "What's our excuse? We can't say we're tired." This is a guy that won the cup a few years ago. This is the guy that's in the playoffs every single year, minus I think it was one year since 2008 or whatever that Ovechkin has missed the playoffs, and it was in 2014. 
what's our excuse? We can't sit here and say we're exhausted, we're fatigued. We got some of the youngest players in the NHL, some of the fastest skaters. We have a hell of a lot of conditioning on this team. I have a nine pack and 2% body fat. What the hell is my <laughs> excuse? Ovechkin looks like he, you know, carries a milk jug with him in, 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 in his uh, love handles. Like it's, it's a completely different mindset that this team has. And what we saw from Gabe Landeskog, I don't want to call it frustrations. I don't want to call it negativity. I want to call it someone that was being a realist and realizing we could be better. We are better. We're going to be better. And that's what's going to help us win. I'm a firm believer in creating milestones, right? And fragmenting a season to make it seem a little less daunting, right? And I think if the Avalanche can kind of keep that mindset right here, they're going to really find some positivity because, yeah, they have this next every other night couple of games here for the next 10 days. But then after that, the schedule really lightens up and they get a nice fat break. So, you know, if I'm in that locker room, I'm saying, guys, just keep pushing a couple more days, a couple more days, and then we get to to really get a big fat rest here. So um, you, you got to imagine that they have that little break circled on their calendar right now. But until then, it's nothing but hard work and putting your nose down and, and getting to it. Yep. I mean, they've already played 12 games in 21 days. So what's another five? Yeah. And now I mean, you got they're, they're almost out of it. Yeah, I mean, what's another five when now you have two goalies that you can roll kind of like you have for the last six games? So I'm dating back to Sunday, January 2nd against the Anaheim Ducks until the 22nd against the Montreal Canadiens. And let's look back at this. Win, 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 win. Overtime loss. Win, 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 win. It's incredible. And the overtime loss, we all remember it. The phantom call the too many men penalty and you know there's no guarantee the avalanche would have won that overtime if that penalty didn't happen but there's no way to know but again 11-0-1 in 12 games 23 of 24 points and you did it in exactly three weeks starting one sunday ending one saturday 21 days 12 games 11 wins 23 points it's incredible what they're doing is genuinely incredible and it's not enough to them. I don't know how many times more I can reiterate that, but it's just it just it mind boggles me the way that Gabe chose to go about his presser yesterday told me all I need to know about this team. And it's that they are ready to go on a real run this year. They're not here to win a president's trophy or to show the NHL that they can flex their muscles and win a lot of games. This is a team that wants to win when it matters. A testament to finding the ways to win the ugly games and kind of perseveres through you know, the adversity that they've been facing, right? I mean, six overtime games in the month of January and five W's, but we'll get into that deeper in a second. First, I got to tell you guys about DraftKings Sportsbook. You know, it's the playoffs right now in the NFL and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is celebrating with huge odd boosts for new customers. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, you can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Not a new customer? You can still get in on the action of the divisional round or the conference round with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, and best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code MHS and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code MHS for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. 
Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. So yeah, Eric, let's get into it. Six overtimes in the month of January, and they're, they're, they're finding ways to get them done. But I think it's more than just skill that's getting them there, right? I mean, you're seeing hard work. You're seeing chess matches from the coach. I think there was something to be said about the the starting three that Coach Bednar threw out there to start the lineup, and it wasn't simply like we thought, oh, wow, look at him, that's fun. He's putting the all-star three together in uh, McCarr, McKinnon, and Kadri. But no, there was, a, there was strategy behind it, right? He really wanted to get that opening face-off, so you throw your best face-off guy in Nazem Kadri, and of course you got the weapons of Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon out there as well. So, um, yeah, just... A lot of good stuff going on with the team, and the OTs, I think, is is one of the glaring things that are going right for these guys. And it's it's that shift, like you said, in in the way that they go about them. It's it's let's go out there, let's put our best weapons on the ice, let's make sure we win the draw because we know how important it is to have that puck control. And then what caught me by bigger surprise was, you know, who's the top four guys on the Avalanche offensively? List them for me. I'm gonna put you on the spot. Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Gabe Landeskog, I'll throw Kadri. Bingo. There's your top four guys. Every single time the Avalanche play a three-on-three overtime, you see some kind of combination of those guys. And it's usually Miko and uh, Nate, followed by Gabe and Nas. 91 and 92 are the second guys to jump over the boards. First defenseman's number eight. Second defenseman's number seven. It used to be 49, but seven has taken a massive step this year. He's taken that second spot before 49 gets on with the third pair, which usually involves Burakovsky. So what you saw yesterday against the Montreal Canadiens was, like you said, it wasn't Miko and Nate. And mind you, Miko's been the Avalanche's hottest player for quite some time now. He is uh, the best scorer on home ice. He is the best scorer in January. And uh, he's having a hell of a season. And, you know, you can even argue that he's having a better season than than uh, than Nazem Kadri in terms of being the team's MVP through the first 39 games of the season. But that's not the point of this. The point is, it's usually Miko and Nate. So they started with Naz because they wanted to win that faceoff. And then, back to my point, the second two players to jump over the boards were Gabe Landeskog, and not the guy with the most goals on the team, not the guy who's had the hottest January, not the guy who's potentially the MVP through 39 games, not even Andre Burakovsky. It was Val Nichushkin. And I love that move. What I saw from Jared Bednar when he put out number 13 with number 92 was what the issue is that we mentioned about Jared when he played against the Vegas Golden Knights and Pete DeBoer last year. And when he played against the San Jose Sharks and Pete DeBoer in 2019, and when he played against the Vega or the, uh, who do they play in 2020, the Dallas Stars and Rick Bonus, he was always getting out coached. And what I saw yesterday was a coach that figured out how to adjust on the fly, which is maybe the one thing he never used to do, and put the guy out that gives him the best chance to win. And that guy set up the game winning goal. Yeah, I think also big credit to just the simple structure, right? The mindset of the team of hard work all the time. There's no time for you to be a passenger. There's no time for you to sit and watch. And in three-on-three, I think that's more important than ever. I mean, it's hard because it's late in the game. You're already really gassed. You're already really tired. But there's no room for error. And I'm not seeing very many errors. They're not giving up many dangerous chances during overtimes. They're generating all the offense. They're keeping possession of that puck. I, I think... 
Montreal got a shot off, but it didn't even reach the net yesterday, and that's all they really did in overtime. That was all the noise they made. So, um, yeah, credit to Jared Bednar there for the chess match, but also credit to Jared Bednar for absolutely drilling the hard work mentality into these guys to where, like we said earlier, now it's organic in the locker room to where they're getting on each other and they're wanting to push harder for the hard work. And uh, I just, again, just so many great things about the mindset of this team right now that um, you're seeing it even in the in the minuscule importance of three on three. You're seeing it shine through. And yeah, Miko Rantanen didn't even touch the ice in three on three. He didn't, he didn't have to. Um, so yeah, obviously a lot of good stuff, but o- overtimes I think is one of the most awesome things that's going on with this team this month. Yeah, and I, and I need to shout out Valerie Nichushkin because this is a guy that missed three games, and you can you it was it was extremely noticeable that he wasn't there. And we've seen how good a season he's had so far. He's been nearly a point per game player for the first time by a mile in his NHL career. His points, uh, his point totals this year, even though he's missed a ton of games, he's got nineteen and twenty three, and his career high is only thirty four, and he hasn't hit that since twenty fourteen. And he's going to blow those numbers out of the park this year, assuming he doesn't have a ton of more injuries. You know, he's only played 23 of 39 games. But I asked Gabe Landeskog about Val yesterday, about his impact for the team, not just in overtime and, you know, what he did yesterday against the Montreal Canadiens, but in general. And I'm going to read the entire answer because... Real quick, before you do, I wanted to mention something about that. I know we talk a lot about what we see in the press conferences. I don't know if that gets annoying for everybody, but that's kind of our only chance to really... I guess, get our own read on the team, right? And yep, in a lot of the press conferences this season so far, we've heard either you, Peter Ball, Mike Chambers, somebody typically asks a question about Val Nachuskin. And yesterday when it happened in my head, you asked it, and I'm thinking, oh God, here we go, another Val Nachuskin question with probably the exact same response as always. But right when you asked your question, Gabe Landeskog perked up and he was like i would love to talk about val nachushkin <laughs> you may go i was on. i was gonna start with exactly that and i love that you mentioned it because i asked him about val nachushkin and the first thing he said was absolutely i'd be happy to talk about val because he's been a big part of this team and we've said it for a long time even when he first got here i think he was a pleasant surprise for everybody this was my favorite part and this goes back to my point the second the second part of his answer that i mentioned about val nachushkin is probably going to resign here because he loves it here he's found his home and he's willing to give a you know a couple thousand dollars a couple hundred thousand dollars to remain somewhere where you don't fuck with happiness he said when he first got here he hadn't scored in i don't know how many months but it was a lot for him and he still surprised everybody by how hard he works on and off the puck and how he forechecks and backchecks. He's a solid player overall. And then he goes into this season and says, and as of late, we've obviously seen how big he is for us when he is in the lineup and creating scoring chances. Very solid hockey player. And it starts with his hard work both off the ice and obviously that translates to on the ice. He's a big part of this team and he stepped up big time tonight. That's a guy that got a glowing response from his captain. And like you said, you know, we've asked about Val many, many times. I don't know if I've ever gotten a chance to ask Gabe about him. And I wanted to ask him in that moment because Val Nachushkin is the one that set up that goal when Gabe should have maybe been out there with Miko, but he was out there with the second line left winger that might be a French third liner. And he got it done. Yeah, I mean, he he's just so strong. He's the type of guy that you just send him into a one-on-one battle and there's a very good chance he comes out on top of it, right? And uh, that's the thing is we hear so much about these guys 
off the ice, it's it's kind of a shame that we don't get to see much of that, right? There aren't many cameras around that. We don't really know who's in the who's in the weight room working their tail off and who, you know, might be skipping out to Chipotle early. Good times pre-COVID, right? Yeah, but but um, I think Jared Bednar even quoted was quoted as calling Valnichushkin a beast in overtime, right? Didn't isn't that yeah. what he said? He said he's yep. been a beast for us in overtime. I forgot who mentioned it. I think it was Peter that was uh, reminding me last year, you know, when the Avalanche weren't winning a lot of overtime games, one of them that they did win was against the Arizona Coyotes and Val made the entire thing happen. And he's just, I've said it before and I'll say it again. He's got that Evgeny Malkin feel to him where he gallops through center ice and then he goes outside, goes around the faceoff circle and suddenly he's in the crease with the puck ready to put it on net. And overtime when he has more room, who's going to stop his frame? So it, it really is a weapon that the Avalanche have that Jared Bednar, again, he was able to notice it. He was able to see that Val has what it takes in overtime. He adjusted on the fly. He coached on the fly. He made that adjustment. He put him out there and it paid off immensely and right away. So that was a big learning moment for Jared Bednar. That was a big moment for Val Nachushkin, big moment for Gabe Landeskog, big moment for this team and... It happened in a game where even though that all kind of came together, it still shouldn't have gotten there. And Gabe Landeskog made that very clear that we needed to play better in this game. And basically what he was trying to say is there was no reason why it needed overtime for us to beat an eight-win team. And I know you already pointed this out, but that was his first game in a few, right? So, I mean, yep, you can read into that how you want. That could either be a pro or a con. We're talking about how exhausted these guys are. So maybe he got a, a little extra break and was out there with a little more uh, juice. But, um, you know, it's also hard to, to stay in the rhythm when you're missing games and to stay in the chemistry. And he just popped right back in and was a huge factor for the team. And, um, yeah, I, I love to see it. I think the Avalanche even posted a video today about him, uh, of him getting the game puck from Darcy Kemper. And even he mentioned, we got to clean some things up, but n- nice win, guys. So, yeah, Val Nachushkin really seems to be a huge part of this team. And I, I don't think he's going unnoticed because we've talked about him a ton. Um, but yeah, you, you just love having him be, be a part of it and just being another weapon that this team can utilize. Worth noting as well that he also scored that second power play goal earlier in the game to make it two to nothing for the Avs. So that was his 11th goal in 23 games. He had 10 all of last season in 55. His career best with the Avs is 13. His career best with the NH- in the NHL is 14. He's already at 11. He's going to get there. It's it's incredible what he's doing. He's growing more and more by the game, and he's shooting 19%. He's, he's earning every single opportunity he gets, and he's making the most of them. You got Kadri, Makar, Nachushkin, all having career years. Who Devon, else? motherfucking Taves. You have Come a career on. year. You have a career year. Logan you O'Connor. Aubie Kubel's got six goals for <laughs> some reason. Everybody's doing it, man. Jack Johnson even scored a goal. Career year. Um, let's get into the goaltending I think we can all agree that that has been resurrected a little bit it was something that was making us all a little bit nervous I'd say a month ago but um, for the first time this past week I think the goaltending was the backbone of the team you had Pavel Francouz hop in there in Anaheim stole the game really played strong really played well and then you had Darcy Kemper play the next night and and really carry the team as well so um, can we all exhale on the goalie front here Arif? Yes, yes, we absolutely can. Uh, what I saw from the Avalanche's goaltenders, and again, this is me talking, me who has been very, uh, let's say, openly talking about how the Avalanche might need to trade for one at the deadline if they don't clean their shit up ASAP. But these are goalies where 
let's go back to that the last six games. Five of them in a seven nights, and then the sixth one two nights later. So six games in nine nights, which is incredible to think about. Darcy Kemper played three games and let's say a half because of the Minnesota game. He came out halfway through after the Jordan Greenway hit. Pavel Francouz started two games and then obviously had to clean up the Minnesota game for a half a game. So, well, more like two periods, but you get the point. In those six games, Kemper's got three wins. Pavel Francouz has three wins. In those six games, Kemper has stopped 100 of 104 shots for a 9.62 save percentage. Pavel Francouz, 82 saves on 87 shots, 9.43 save percentage. So put together, they're in the 9.50s. They've let in a combined nine goals in six games, most of which, well, not most, but a few of which have needed overtime or shootout, and they've each got a shutout to their name, that beautiful shutout that we've been talking about all season that we just couldn't get it. They got two of them in four days. So what I'm seeing from the Avalanche's goaltending is exactly what I asked Jared Bender about yesterday when I mentioned that you finally have two goalies to, you know, not to put Johansson under the bus, but basically put Johansson under the bus and say, and Devin Dubnik and all those guys, you finally got two goalies. You can roll two goalies. And he said, it feels good to finally have it. It's been almost two years, blah, 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 blah. What I'm seeing from Darcy Kemper and Pavel Francouz is the kind of tandem goaltending that you need. The Avalanche don't have a Vasilevsky. They don't have a John Gibson, a Connor Hellebuck. They have two goalies that could get it done when they are a tandem. So let's pretend that Pavel was still injured and Jonas Johansson was never put on waivers. Do you think the Avalanche would have gone 6-0 in nine days? Absolutely needing to over, not. Needing, needing to, if you're not going to play Johansson, you're overplaying the shit out of Darcy Kemper. They found a way to keep both goalies fresh. Get them each three starts. Get Well, four and two. Get them each three wins in nine days. Keep them both fresh. Keep them both alert. And they both delivered. It's it's a damn good feeling. And there is an issue to be had. There's 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 a point to be made that if one of them goes down, you're right back to the drawing board of holy shit, what do we do? But they're not there right now. I mean, if Nathan McKinnon gets injured tomorrow, it's holy shit, what do you do? You can say that about anybody. They're both healthy right now. They're both playing good. And you can exhale on the goaltending situation. Can they win you the cup? Maybe. We'll see. We, we don't know. We can't tell the future. But you're feeling a hell of a lot better now than you were even in early January. Absolutely. Two strong goalies right now. I mean, I don't think we're at the point yet where there's a goalie controversy, but I could easily see one coming up if if both of them maintain this level of play. I mean, they're both playing well, and it took them a second to get here, which we all kind of expected, both Francouz from his recoveries and Kemper just in acclimating with the team. But as you mentioned with the shootout or the shutout stat that we finally got one and we got two of them, it took Darcy Kemper 26 games to get his first shutout. It took Pavel Francouz four. (laughs) Dude, I love Frankie. He's he's (laughs) such a cool, he's such an awesome guy. And every time you look down at the crease and you see him playing and you remember Devin Dubnik and Philip Grubauer and Darcy Kemper and Jonas Johansson and how they're all behemoths and giants and you're like, he's just a little guy. He's a little guy and he's making all these saves. Where is it coming from? But he makes it work. And that's all that matters. I mean, he's just so clean and compact, right? That size of Darcy Kemper kind of hurts him a little bit sometimes when he's trying to slide around and he's trying to control this large body of his it's it's tough on him and you can tell when he's when he's sliding around on in the butterfly position but that being said two goalies playing really well 
do you expect them to maintain this level of play? Because, again, we expected them to get to this point. It took them a little bit longer than we hoped, but they're here. Do they stay here? How has the team been playing in front of them? We just talked about it for half an hour. How has the team been playing in front of them? Pretty well. They've been scoring. No, but 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 how do they feel they've been playing? Yeah, that's true. They got they got some cleaning up to do, especially defensively, right? We saw that in Montreal. A lot of odd man rushes. So, yeah, I get where you're going. You're right. They okay, have so, some cleaning up to do in front of them. Yeah, so if they, if they clean up in front of them all the things that they've been doing wrong, you're just making it easier on Kemper and, and Frankie. And if they're doing this good when the team is struggling, you know, in some aspects of the game and they're having a lot of uh, fatigue issues then how much better can it get? It can get much better. I absolutely think that they can hold it together. And we'll see when it comes to the playoffs. I think when I, in, in the bubble playoffs, what I saw with Pavel Francouz was a goalie that couldn't really handle what it means to play in the second round of the playoffs. And he was getting lit up by the Dallas Stars. and The pressure, yes, yes. The pressure of the second round of the playoffs and he was getting lit up by the Dallas Stars. But at the other end, Hudobin was making you know one save more because every game was 5-4 in that series. But then we learned that he was dealing with crazy, aggravating injuries that pretty much knocked him out for the next year and a half. So maybe let's give him another chance to play in the playoffs. But then you also got this guy named Darcy Kemper who's like, hey, uh, don't forget about me. If you guys give me the defense and the structure that you gave Philip Grubauer last year, uh, I can be a little bit better too. I'm not a 905 goalie here. I'm more like a 915, 920. So maybe play a little bit better in front of me. Give me a goalie to split some time with, and I'll show you how good I can be. So that's what I'm seeing from both these guys. I'm seeing two guys that are making it hard for me to question what they could do for this team. Do they need Marc-Andre Fleury right now? No. Will they by the time the deadline happens in a little less than two months? Maybe. But right now, no. Here's the question that I think is on all of our minds, Arif. As the Avalanche right now sit 28-8-3, and That's 39 games played, which is two games less than half. That's crazy. Considering the history of both of these guys, do they both make it for through the second half of the season here? I mean, I I think that's the, the worry on everybody's mind here. Well, if you're splitting duties between them, it gives them both a better chance. Pavel Francouz is back. The injury he had in in the preseason game against the Minnesota Wild way back in September or whatever it was, that was about as fluky as it could get. It wasn't the issues that were ailing him for the year prior. And then Darcy Kemper, the reason why he kept having aggravated injuries with the Avalanche is because they needed to play him over and over and over again because their other options were Jonas Johansson and a couple of emergency goalies. Like there Wasn't was there no a point b- where Kemper took a puck up high too and that, that sat him down for a game or two? Yeah, there was there was a whole bunch of things. And then in Toronto, he sat after playing a bunch of games, you know, leading up to that, took the morning skate and then suddenly disappeared. So I don't know. You can't say for sure. You cannot say for sure. But what you can say right now is if there's 40, what, three games left and they're each going to play anywhere from 20 to 29 games, depending on how you want to shake the split, you're certainly you're, you're certainly giving yourself a better opportunity to keep them both fresh and away from injuries, uh, you know, aggravating injuries because of fatigue. If, you know, if somebody gets run over in the crease and his toe picks and he, you know, tears an ACL or something like that's not something that fatigue plays a factor in. That's just the nature of the game, nature of the beast. But right now, I mean, the fact that both these guys are going and they're playing well, Makes it a little bit easier to be able to do that. 
Agreed. Agreed 100%. And I, I really like your analysis there because obviously we can't predict whether or not one of these guys is going to get hurt. But the lightened workload is going to be pivotal for both of these guys because you don't want it to physically wear, them, wear on them and you don't want it to mentally wear on them. So you want them as sharp as possible for playoff time and that's the best route. Just, just split it up nice and evenly. Um, let's get to Total Beverage real quick, guys. Everybody already knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBeverage.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Well, Arif, it doesn't seem like goaltending is going to be the issue right now, right? It seems like we've shored that up. The the uh, the goaltenders are buzzing, and we can look past that now. We can get over the whole narrative that the goaltending is holding this team back. But the trade deadline is quickly approaching. I know we've got a, an all-star break to get to first, but you can't take your eyes off the trade deadline ever. So what do you think that this Avs team could possibly do instead? Do you have any theories, any conspiracies you're working up, or uh, something we want to throw at the wall that might be a good idea? So... Obviously, you know, we've mentioned this before. Elliot Friedman has said over and over again that he feels the Avalanche are going to be in on pretty much everything. If there is a player out there, the Avs are going to be on it within reason. Like, you know, they're not going to go out and trade for Jacob Trickren if, if they don't need him. But, or, you know, a goalie if they don't need a goalie. But what I see from the Avalanche this year is a team that if you can make the salary cap work, you go all in on the biggest and best player you can get that can make this team better. You're not going to go bring in a Derek Brassard or, you know, a Carl Soderberg kind of depth forward. You're going to aim and shoot for something bigger. Now I have a player in mind. I think we've mentioned him before, but I kind of want to throw a little idea at the wall for like some kind of a trade that you could take to get this guy. But I want to ask you a question first. Do you remember the avalanche trade when they traded Ryan O'Reilly to the Buffalo Sabres? Oh, absolutely. How can you forget it? Okay, Comfer, so traded... Grigorenko, Zadorov. Thank you. They got Comfer, they got Grigorenko, and they got Zadorov. They traded O'Reilly, and I think they threw in Jamie McGinn, if I remember correctly. Now, JT Comfer was a prospect. Nikita Zadorov was a defenseman that was, you know, about to start coming into his own. The third guy, Mikhail Grigorenko. This was a guy that you can label as someone that had a lot of upside and never lived up to it. Let's give him a fresh start, and let's see what he could do with that. Is that reasonable to say? Absolutely. I mean, it's also reasonable to say he completely shit the bed and didn't really do much with it, uh, and you can kind of blame Patrick Wall for that too, but <laughs> that's the kind of guy that when a team is trading a big-name player, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that gold mine. They're looking for someone that, you know what, if Grigorenko lives up to his potential, he could be as productive as Ryan O'Reilly, and we just got him as a part of the trade. You get where I'm going with that. The quote-unquote steal. Yes, exactly. So the steal is not the only part. So please don't consider this me saying that it's the one and only part that it's going to take. The steal is not the only part, but it's part of it. So if you were to go out and call the Philadelphia Flyers, who have lost 11 straight games, and inquire about one Claude Giroux, their captain, 
you need to throw in Drew's a centerman that's playing on the wing now, which is nice for the Avalanche because you can either throw him on the wing with Berkey and Kadri or what I like, throw him on the third line with New Hook and give him a little bit more of an offensive teammate and a weapon there. Who's the player on the Avalanche? And I hope you get this one. It's a little bit of a softball. We'll see. He's a young centerman who had a lot of upside, both offensively and defensively. But on the offensive side, he's never really lived up to it. And now he's kind of toiling. And I don't want to use that word because he's on a good team with a lot of chemistry and he's got a chance to win a cup. But he's kind of toiling on the fourth line because at this point, with the season Nazem Kadri's having and the emergence of Alex Newhook, suddenly there's no room for him to be that second line center that we all thought he could be. Who Sounds am I like discussing? you're describing one Tyson Jost. Ding, 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 ding. So if you got Claude Giroux, who's making eight point something million, and you can get him at half the cost because obviously they would need to collect half the cost. Who's the one guy going the other way that the Philadelphia Flyers could look at and say, hey, that's a reclamation project. That's the guy that we can get as a quote-unquote steal. That's the Mikhail Grigorenko of this trade. It's Tyson Jost. So maybe you throw in some draft picks. You throw some conditions on there. If the Avalanche make it to the third round, it becomes a higher draft pick. And if you you know, want to trade a prospect, whether it's someone like Sampo Ranta or, in my opinion, somebody else like maybe Sean Behrens, the defenseman that plays at DU. Uh, I think his first name is Sean. I hope I got that right. But, you know, you can tell how little research I've done with this. Um, so, you know, throw in a couple prospects here and there. And it is Sean Behrens. I finally did that research, making myself look like an idiot. But you get the point. You trade a couple of conditional picks that go into a higher pick because in the end, yes, Claude Giroux has got this long storied history with the Philadelphia Flyers. He's also a pending UFA and more than likely a uh, one year with the Avalanche rental. He's not going to resign. I doubt it. Or maybe, you know, the Avalanche win the cup or maybe they get ever so close where he says, hey, yeah, I'll give you a little bit of a pay cut. But then you got to talk about how do you make him fit? What do you do with Nazem Kadri? But that's not the point. The point is when these guys are traded as playoff rentals, you don't get as much a return for them. Taylor Hall got traded to the Boston Bruins for pennies on the dollar, a couple draft picks here and there. So if you want to go out and bring in someone like Claude Giroux and you trade someone like Tyson Jost as part of the trade, again, this is not a one for one. Please don't make me feel like I'm being an idiot thinking Tyson Jost can get you a Claude Giroux. You throw Claude on that second line with, or sorry, on the third line with New Hook and let's say Logan O'Connor. And suddenly on your fourth line, you got Abi Kubel, you got Helm, you got JT Comfer. That's a team. That's a deep freaking team. And you still got Val on that second line with Kadri and with Burakovsky. But the best part about it is when, and I'm going to say when because I'm cynical, when somebody gets injured, be it Val Nachushkin last week being on COVID protocol, be it Kadri missing a couple games or McKinnon or Landeskog, you don't have to throw a young new hook into the top six. You don't have to throw a grinder like Comfer into the top six. You got this all-star named Claude Giroux who's ready to jump in there whenever the hell you need. And he's producing this year. He's the old guy without a cup. He's 34 years old. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the guy the Avalanche should make the move for. He's got 14 goals and 33 points in 38 games. He's on pace for more than 70 points, which he hasn't done since 2018-19. This is a guy that could help this team, and that's the kind of trade Joe, Shack, Joe Sackick sorry, should make at the deadline, assuming the goaltending situation is figured out with the guys we have. 
That would be quite the splash, indeed. Um, of course, I love the idea of bringing more names and more talent and more skill, especially on the offensive end to this team. There's part. Of, I mean, I mean, uh, but, but, but really quick. He's no Carl Soderberg, but I mean, he's kind of up there, right? Okay, sorry. And, and <laughs> there's part of me that is a little bit hesitant of making too much of a splash within the team itself, though, right? You don't want to have a guy who he's a leader. He's a he's a captain. He's been the Philadelphia captain as long as I can remember. He's going to come in here and provide more leadership. And is that really something this team needs? Is that really something? That, you know, we've talked about this whole podcast, how Gabe Landeskog has really got a control of this team and the mindset's heading the right direction and the leadership group is leading the right way. Do we really want to make that much noise and that much of a change internally with, with this team? I think that's maybe too big of a splash for me. I don't know. What did what did Ray Bork do to the Avalanche? Did he come in there and kind of rain? Exactly. So that's that's kind of the way that I see it. When you have a strong leadership core, that, core that's got a hold of the team, uh Everybody else that comes in isn't going to come in and be selfish and be like, this is my team now. If this was, you know, I don't know, pretend we're like five years further in the future and Sidney Crosby's like a lot older and, you know, the Penguins are like a lottery team and the Avalanche want to bring him in, you know, when he's on the tail end of his career, maybe a third line center that's putting up 40, 50 points. Let's bring him in to play with his buddy, Nathan McKinnon. Even that would be fine. Like once you have the leadership core that's got a grasp of the team, these guys aren't going to come in. Like Claude Giroux's got the C on his jersey for a reason. It's not because he's selfish. It's because he's a leader and knows how to be a part of a team. He's going to come in and be like, yeah, sure, I'll I'll play the role you need. Young kid named Alex Newhook, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll play on his wing. Logan O'Connor's a bit of a grinder. I'll teach him my grinding ways. In 2012, I once hit Nathan, uh, I once hit Sidney Crosby off the faceoff and scored the biggest goal of my life. I'll show him a little bit of that. I'll show him how to be gritty in the playoffs. And if you guys need me on the second power play unit, sure. If Val Nichushkin's on COVID protocol, I'll step in. And then when he's back, I'll jump back to the third line. That's the kind of guy you get from someone like him. I mean, the guy averages just under 19 minutes a game. I think he'd expect to be somewhere around there too, right? So I don't know. I, I, I like it. Don't get me wrong. I like it. No, no, no. He's, he's averaging 19 minutes a game on a team that's lost 11 straight. If you trade him to the Avalanche and you know get 15 minutes a night from him, I don't think he's going to sit there and bitch and moan about four minutes of ice time. I like it. Just it's got to make sure to fill a position of need and not just bring in names to bring in names, right? I think yeah. um if if they genuinely feel like he'll contribute and be an upgrade, well, I think he would be an upgrade from what they've got now on on the third line, then yeah, I think it's a it's a move that you have to make as long as you're not giving up too much. And Tyson Jones isn't too much, but I doubt Philadelphia is saying, "Yeah, Tyson Jones for Claude Giroux, let's do it." Again, he's he's one part I know he's I one know, part. I know, but the it, other, the it, other it, it, NHL move, it's one to one, and then you might got you might hope for a guy like Sample Ranta, Sean Barons, whoever it might be to come. Yeah, down some the road. draft picks, some yeah. draft picks to the point where like you know maybe it's a conditional 2023 first rounder where the condition is if the Avalanche make the third round or the finals, then yeah, you can have the 2023 third rounder. But I don't think anybody's gonna be complaining about that. You traded the 2022 first rounder for Kemper, yeah, sure. The 2023 first rounder. If you end up giving that up for Claude Giroux, but you're playing in the Stanley Cup final, who gives a shit? So, you know, that's, yeah, that's one guy. The other guy that I can sit here and write a preamble on is Joe Pavelski, but that's a guy that's within your division. I don't think the Dallas Stars are going to want to do that if they fall completely out of it, because they're going to ask a lot from the Avalanche. But Claude Giroux just seems like the kind of guy that Philadelphia is going to turn to, especially since he's a lifer. Pavelski's not a lifer in Dallas. They don't care. They'll let him walk in free agency. Drew's the kind of guy that Philadelphia might go to and say, hey, we want to get you onto a contender. What do you think? 
And he'll be like, thank you, because this team's not winning anytime soon. I've never won. How about that guy, Nathan McKinnon, that I once won a world championship with? Let's do it. It's 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 a possibility. Like there's and I and I know it's Claude Giroux, and we're gonna sit here and be like, oh, the Avalanche can't afford to make a trade that big. Yes, they freaking can. What does it take to get a rental? It doesn't take that much to get a rental. Sampo Ranta, conditional first round draft pick and Tyson Jost. Is anybody gonna complain about that to put Claude Giroux on your third line and give you insurance for the top six? Like you gotta win a cup and go for it some sometime. Trading for Vlad Nemestikov or Carl Soderberg or, or Derek Broussard and forward and for Patrick Nemeth on defense, that's not going for it. Claude Drew is going for it, just like the late, great Pierre Lacroix did with, with Ray Bork and Theo Fleury and Rob Blake and the like. Right. There's going to be some big names moving at the trade deadline, so you'd hate to just be the team standing on the sidelines watching everybody make moves. you got to be one of those guys making moves too, so I'm with it. And let's not forget that there is a certain team uh, in Nevada— that's about to add Jack Eichel to their team. So Claude Giroux is, is, can he even measure up to Jack Eichel? No, but it's a start. It's a way to say, hey, you guys just added him, but here's who we're going to add. And he's going to give us more depth than what you have. So you got to do something this year. This is not the year to mess around with the trade deadline and, you know, acquire a Soderberg and Nemeth. This is a year where you got to go big name hunting. And listen, man, Joe Sackick was in on Jack Eichel. Joe was in on Taylor Hall many moons ago. Joe was in on Artemi Panarin and put in an offer for him. Joe is in on everybody. He's ready to make that splash. And this is the exact kind of guy that could give this team what they need. You say Nevada. I say Nevada. You say Elias. <laughs> I say Elias. You like that? That's a freestyle. And the best part... <laughs> That's great. I love it. And the best part is, you know, when you, this is a thing that I think about. If you trade Marc Andre Fleury, what jersey number is he going to wear? That's a 29, man. I was thinking about with Giroux. There's already a 28. Yeah, it's freaking Ryan Murray. Who gives a shit? He'll be like, yeah, sure. I mean, Jacob McDonald gave up his 34 to Carl Friggin Soderberg. I'm All sure right. Ryan Murray will be like, here's a 28. I'll go down to 27 and pretend I'm Ryan Graves. Like, it's not a huge deal. Uh, let's look at the schedule ahead, Arif, and start to uh, prepare for our descent here. So, Put your safety belts back on and uh, <laughs> trade tables up. Wi-Fi will be back soon, guys. You're going you're <laughs> to get your cell phone service. Let's do it. We got Chicago on Monday at home, Boston on Wednesday at home, and then a trip to Chicago to end the week. I guess what are your thoughts on that little three-game set? Do you anticipate any bumps in the road? Uh, not really. The Bruins could be a tough competition, but hey, this is the Avalanche and, and you're playing at Ball Arena where they haven't lost since the first week of November. So they could win all three games and they probably will. But it's just a matter of kind of the mindset shift that we've been talking about all episode is how are they going to win those games and is it going to be in a way that they're happy with? That's a Wednesday night game, so you know that's must-see TV, and that one's going to be on TNT for a national broadcast. 8 p.m. So. 8 p.m. local starts, the second second of a doubleheader. Oh, header. no. Yeah, so you're going to have to stay up past your bedtime, old man. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do uh, it. I can't, I can't imagine they're going to win all three. I mean, I feel like they can, and they absolutely should. Uh, Chicago might be looking for a little bit of revenge for Kale McCarr embarrassing their team. Uh, last time these two teams met. So, um, you know, it's never easy to beat a team twice in the same week. So let's see how Chicago reacts. Boston's going to be a tough one. But, hey, these are games we, uh, I guess, can kind of relax a little bit, right? I mean, it's not like the Avalanche are threatened to really lose one of the top spots in the division. They're not really in a in a 
spot like they were earlier in the season with missing players here and there, with whether it's COVID or injuries. So I think we can just kind of enjoy the hockey here. And, you know, if a loss comes our way, we're not going to throw fits on Twitter and it's not going to be the end of the season and fire Bednar time and trade Kemper time. It's just time to enjoy the hockey for what it is and let's just enjoy this good team because they've been on such an impressive tear that they deserve a little bit of slack. Remember when they lost in overtime to the Ottawa Senators with Eustace Annanen in goal and they had to come back from a 5-2 deficit and lost 6-5 in you know, a game where the goalie probably shouldn't have been starting in the NHL at that point. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Okay, so since then, they've played 18 games. They're 16-1-1. The one regulation loss was against the National Predators where half the team went on COVID protocol 25 minutes before puck drop, and they had to play with a backup goalie and a shortened bench. The one overtime loss was also against the National Predators. It was with that weird phantom penalty call. They're 16-1-1 their last 18. They could be 18-0. If they lose a game here or there, it's fine. It's going to happen. You're not going to win them all, but this is a team that's in a really good position to basically win them all. Like, what have they shown us in January? They showed us that they don't lose. Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to these games and, of course, looking forward to the TNT, right? Those guys are killing the broadcast I love game. it. They're so I good. I just can't wait for playoff They're time. Between TNT and ESPN, I think playoff time, the coverage is going to be phenomenal. We're going to get so many... Uh, you know, side reports and pregame reports. It's just going to be so awesome. Between Emily Kaplan and all the TNT guys, oh, I'm just pumped for the playoffs. There's nobody that can make Wayne Gretzky entertaining like Paul Bissonnette can. <laughs> it's it's just so great to see this fourth-line fucking loser of a guy take shots at the great Wayne Gretzky <laughs> and really bring him out of his shell. It's so funny. Bet you don't call him that to his face, though, huh? Who, Biz? Biz? Yeah. He's a nice guy. He's self-deprecating. He'd laugh with me. I would never never call Gretzky boring to his face, though. That's certainly something I would not do. (laughs) Just get on my knees and just like pray to the the great Lord. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, 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 you're going to pray. Wait, not Biz. Jeez. Yeah. You said getting on your knees. I didn't know where you were going to take it there. Uh, (laughs) One last thing I want to get to before we head out of of this podcast here. Arif, you and I had been planning to play ping pong together for a long time, right? And we were waiting for the perfect opportunity for an early game start, and we were going to head afterwards to go play ping pong. The last two starts, a couple things came up, whether it was work, life, COVID, what have you. We weren't able to do it. Yesterday, we finally got to get to the ping pong bar, Ace, Eat, Serve, where we found an Avalanche fan, not only an Avalanche fan, but a podcast listener and a reader of your my high sports. He said articles. he was a big fan. Big I've fan. never had somebody tell me I'm a big fan of your work. I'm like, thanks. Thanks. Anyway, about that ping pong that we were trying to play. So Evan, shout out to you. Not only that, he hooked us up. He got us our ping pong table because you, like an idiot, accidentally Whoops. reserved us a dinner table like we were about to go on a date. He pulled some strings for us, got us a ping pong table, and we played some ping pong and had a blast. So um, shout out to Evan at Ace Eat Serve. You're the man, and thanks for having us for the night. We'll definitely be back. Evan, you are the greatest, uh, and I don't want to bury the lead here. There's a couple things. Number one, it was hilarious that, you know, I've been here for two and a half years. You've been doing this for eight years, and after that happened, I looked at you with this big smile on my face, and I went, man, I've been waiting two and a half years for that to happen, and you turn around, and you're like, I've been waiting eight, (laughs) and the first (laughs) time we go out together outside of a hockey game, it happened, so that's number one. Number two, don't bury the lead and the fact that I took 
14 different kinds of shits on you in ping pong and just no ab- you didn't i won four or five on the good table with the good yeah, lighting with scores like 21 to 19 and keep in uh-huh. mind i haven't played ping pong in uh-huh. 10 years that and how long has it time. been since i've played i played in detroit for the first time in three years yeah, exactly you play all the uh-huh. time you and so, your friends so the excuse you live for it what friends i live in denver with no friends that you've ever been good at so i don't have any friends in according to evan i'm good at this job too because he's a listener and he said it was (laughs) he was like i was like do you listen to the podcast he's like yeah i was like oh well this is jj he's like oh (laughs) and there i am hi (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that was great we'll do the ping pong thing again and you know what avalanche fans i'm gonna put this out there if any of you guys play ping pong and you go to hockey games and you guys ever want to play ping pong with us let's fucking do it Let's start yeah. to meet these people in person. COVID's winding down. I want to meet all you beautiful listeners of ours, starting with Evan and moving on from there. Absolutely. Crushing some chai teas or whatever the hell those oh, that was, drinks that was were. Incredible. The music, to bed. the music was on point too. Everything about that experience was great. It was, you know, the avalanche wine and then that. And then I had some fried chicken afterward. It was a great <laughs> Saturday night. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's a good place for us to stop, Eric. Any closing thoughts before we wrap up this baby the way we always do? Uh, yeah, and I was going to say, you know, I'm not going to sit here and turn a blind eye to what the NHL world is talking about, well, the hockey world is talking about right now and what happened in the ECHL with Jordan Subban. And, you know, there's a lot of talk on if it was a racial gesture or if the player, I forget his name, but it's not important, came out and said that he was doing a tough guy thing and blah, 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 blah. But what I wanted to get to was a tweet by Akeem Alou where he came out and he said that we need to stop saying, can we make hockey? Can we, we need to stop saying and using the mantra hockey is for everyone. We need to say, let's make hockey for everyone. And, uh, you know, whether it was a racial gesture or not, we did see something happen just a couple of weeks earlier with Bukanji Imama in the AHL. We saw the Hockey Diversity Alliance come out and do what they do. We've seen a lot of racial incidents in the NHL. I'm going to put in my two cents and say that we start closing out the show with let's make hockey for everyone instead of hockey is for everyone. Yeah, I mean, we'll pull back the curtain. This isn't purely your idea. We both kind of found this at the same time and said we're changing it. So um, we got to change it. He's right. We made a lot of progress in the last 30 years 50 years obviously hockey's gone the right direction but there's still so much progress to be had and um, we just need people like the hockey diversity alliance to lead the way and even guys like us right we don't have the biggest voice we don't have the biggest uh soapbox here to talk off of but we do what we can and we, we try to make a difference where we can so that being said i guess I'll wrap it up here the way we always do. And thanks to every single one of you for listening to us. And thank you so much to all the people who have been leaving reviews. We very much appreciate those. And uh, Keep them coming, baby. Keep them coming. Those things matter way more than you could believe in terms of downloads and, and just bringing us up the iTunes queue. So if you haven't left a five-star review yet on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do five-star review. Share a couple comments on what you like about our podcast we'd really appreciate it absolutely keep the interaction coming we love it from every single one of you guys don't forget to check out DraftKings Sportsbook America's top rated sportsbook as well as Total Beverage both in Thornton and Westminster that being said if you made it this far in the podcast bless your pretty little heart let's make hockey for everyone and we ask you